Hello everyone, my name is James Ford and this is The Pragmatic Investor. Today I am joined by fellow essay contributor, Trading Places Research, who is the author behind Longview Capital. In this conversation, we dove deep into what AI is, what the implications are going forward, and why NVIDIA in particular is so well positioned to benefit from this coming AI revolution. We also talked about what the challenges and threats NVIDIA faces are now. We talked about whether investors should buy NVIDIA now, and also about what other opportunities related to AI investors could benefit from today. To round off the conversation, we also talked a little bit about the macro outlook, and Trading Places Research also added his own stock to our pragmatic investor portfolio. He made a very compelling case for why the infrastructure sector has been so overlooked by investors and how you can benefit from it. Be sure to check him out on Seeking Alpha. You won't regret it. And if you haven't already, please subscribe to the podcast. It really helps out. Share, like, and you can also find my own stuff, James Ford, the Pragmatic Investor on Seeking Alpha. As always, I hope you enjoyed this conversation as much as I did. Welcome once again, everyone. I'm joined by fellow essay contributor, Trading Places Research. Thanks for coming on. Thank you. Thanks for having me. This is, this is going to be fun. All right. So the topic of the duo today, of course, AI, AI. It's all about AI. ChatGPT might as well be running this interview. What are your thoughts? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, one of the running jokes I have uh, at my service, Longview Capital, is, is that, you know, can it replace me yet? Uh, not yeah, I'm not worried yet, but who knows? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, so uh, I think we should do a little history lesson. Start with a little history lesson. See, talk about how we got here. A little brief history lesson to talk about how we got here. Okay. All right, um, let's go for it. <laughs> it, it I, you know, the modern era of of AI starts in 2012, really. Um, but, uh, and there's a long history that goes back to the fifties and very famous mathematicians predicting that we solved the problem within a decade. Of course that didn't happen, but let's fast forward to 2005 is when NVIDIA starts getting interested in all this stuff. Okay. They're called graph, what they make are called graphics processing units because that's mostly what they're used for. But the trick really is, is that they're good at floating point math, okay? Mm -hmm. There's two types of math in computers, integer math and floating point math. Integer math is computationally cheap. Floating point math is computationally expensive and GPUs do that well and in parallel and you can make nice graphics with that at a high frame rate. But it also, but NVIDIA around 2005 realized you can also do a lot of other stuff with that. One of them being AI, right? But there's a lot of other things and, you know, the, you know, fluid dynamics and protein folding and all this very heavy duty mathematical stuff. But the big trick for AI is matrix multiplication math, floating point matrix multiplication math. And that's what NVIDIA GPUs do so well. And in 2012, is when the modern era starts with something called AlexNet, which is the first really good image recognition system model. Um, and it was built on NVIDIA GPUs. And that started this huge revolution in the growth of models size, right? Mm -hmm. Because NVIDIA GPUs could handle 
bigger models. Before this, models grew roughly at Moore's law rate. After this, explosive exponential growth in model size, right? Mm -hmm. And NVIDIA starts making software and hardware to get that works together to solve all these big problems. And now they're not just making these quote unquote gaming GPUs, right? For graphics, mm -hmm. for their old purpose, but they make data center GPUs, which are very, 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 very expensive. Mm -hmm. And um, all the software that goes with it, and it's a complete system, and it's the only, because they've been doing this for so long, it's the only complete system of software and hardware that works together and does this stuff well, right? But up mm -hmm. until just a few years, two years ago, right, the biggest models in the world were literally playing games. They were playing, Go the biggest model in the world was AlphaGo. And it was playing Go, the, the Chinese board game. Um, it was very good at it, right? Um, but, you know, it's playing games. Right. Um, <laughs> so then comes GPT, chat GPT, right? A large language model, right? Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden, it's not playing games. It's actually doing stuff that can be useful in commercial usage, right? So up until this point, the big expense in research was building these models, right? Mm -hmm. All the money's going to NVIDIA. The key thing to remember is models keep getting bigger and bigger and bigger, exponentially bigger, mm -hmm. and all the money's going to NVIDIA. Right. Those so are the something two. Like, something like ChatGPT then requires a lot of GPUs, right? Just to, okay. in layman's terms. Depends which, yes. But if you're talking about GPT 3.5, the original from last year, right? That's a mm -hmm. management expense. Operating GPT, something on the scale of GPT 4 mm -hmm. at scale, at something like a Google search scale, is mm -hmm. impossible. It's right now, that's just way too expensive. Hundreds of billions of dollars a year at, at Google search scale, right? And expenses. Uh -huh. That's just too, and you can see it in the difference in the API. It's a like a fifty times difference in the API cost between GPT three point five and mm -hmm. GPT four. Right. What's what's right? the difference in those costs? What's driving the difference in those costs? Nvidia. There's the inference. There's just much more what they call inference. It, it's predicting. What a large language model does is it's predicting the next word or the next series of words. It's a guessing machine and it's very, very, very good at it, right? Mm -hmm. It's just very, very good guessing machine. What's the next word? What's the next phrase? What's the next, how does that fit into a paragraph? Should I go back and change a word back there because of this word I just chose, right? Anyway, um, that all takes a lot of GPU power. And we're mostly talking about NVIDIA here still. And their A100, H100, they call it the DGX platform generally. That's their branding. Um, and it's just so much more expensive to do something. It, the expense goes up as model size goes up, expense goes up exponentially. And when you're doing for research, that's expensive, but you're not trying to put it into production at scale. Now mm -hmm. that all these things are moving into scale, NVIDIA is a problem for 
everyone for everyone. Okay. Mm-hmm. And I'm talking, they're stealing, they're stealing margin from Microsoft and everyone smaller than Microsoft. They're stealing margin from everybody because they get 75% gross margin, something like that on their data center GPUs because they substantially have no competition, right? They're essentially a monopoly, right? Their moat is it's the only complete solution. Mm -hmm. You could try to piece together other hardware with other software and it would probably work, but it's a pain in the butt, right? You go Mm -hmm. to NVIDIA and it's just all ready to go. They've had, they've been working on it for over a decade now, almost two decades now, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, and Jensen Wang really saw where the ball was going, where the puck was going here. Um, so uh, many, many years ago, and, you know, I think this, I think the shares are overpriced, but there's no arguing with the growth story, right? Mm-hmm. Um, right. It's very so interesting. Anyway. You, talk, you talk about NVIDIA having basically a monopoly I think a lot of people, you know, think about the chip makers and they think, well, you know, NVIDIA's run a lot. Maybe I should buy AMD, but probably that's not so much the case, right? No, no, no. People don't understand the extent to which NVIDIA is taking all the money. So, and, and okay, so there's two things driving that. Size of models, right? And mm-hmm. all this time and money, R&D, that NVIDIA has put into this to create what, what they have now. At, in 2023 that's ready for this moment right that was just ready right. for this right i mean you got to give jensen wang full props 2005 mm-hmm. started working on this right anyway um so i think the incentive right now is twofold one is on the hardware side to cut out nvidia right figure out a way to not use GPUs. I think it won't, if, if NVIDIA gets disrupted on the hardware side, I don't think it will be a GP, another GPU. I think it will be, there's something, there's this kind of class of hardware forming, called, you know, generally called AI accelerators. There's a few different okay. types, right? And mm-hmm. they do a workaround. They're still doing integer math. Going back to the original thing I talked about, they're still doing into that cheap integer math but they fake the flo- the floating point math. So there's less precision, but most AI training and, and, and uh, inference doesn't need full precision, right? Mm-hmm. You can get it. So Google ha- Google's been working on that since 2015, right? They're, um, they're t- they call them TPUs, tensor processing units. And those right. are for at Google Cloud. I think that's a huge opportunity for them to disrupt NVIDIA's hardware, they need to put it together with software and a complete package like NVIDIA has, but it's really um, very impressive hardware. The foot, they're on their fourth version of it now mm-hmm. and therefore went on Google Cloud. Um, and they use it internally. That's what BARD runs on. That's what their models run on, right? They don't, uh-huh. They're the only ones who are running anything at scale, not on NVIDIA, mm-hmm. right? So that's the one trend is let's cut out NVIDIA's legs on the hardware side by kind of fudging the floating point math a little bit, right? And it seems to work pretty well. It's working well for, for Google, I, is, is my view at least. Um, and then the other side of that is trying to make the models smaller, trying to use make smaller models better, 
And that's a more recent thing. Okay. And so, so let's back up a bit. So last year, ChatGPT comes out mm -hmm. and there's all these companies, large and small, working on natural language processing. And they look at what OpenAI released and they're like, oh my God, we suck. <laughs> right? <laughs> <laughs> and so a lot of them, including Facebook, open sourced what they had to try right. to gain, because they saw stable diffusion gain a lot of traction that way as an open source image generator, right? And so everyone's like, you yeah, know, open source, it's free. People start playing around with it. You mm -hmm. don't know what's going to happen next, right? So Facebook, what happened next was Facebook releases this thing open source. Um, Stanford researchers get hold of this thing and they are just developing this. It's a much smaller model than anything that's coming out of Google or OpenAI and their partnership with Microsoft. Um, but they're doing an amazing number of things, these Stanford researchers and other people in, in the open source community with these much smaller models, working on trying to get them to work better without increasing the model size, thus increasing, and remember model size, uh, compute costs go up exponentially with model size. Keeping your mm -hmm. model size small is like, that's gonna be a huge game here until NVIDIA gets disrupted on the hardware side. But until right. then, so, what did Google just announce at I.O.? Palm 2 is smaller than its mm. predecessor. Not larger, okay. smaller, right? Mm -hmm. And there's four versions of it. The smallest version can run at the end, quote unquote edge, meaning your phone, my phone, your computer, my computer, right? Mm -hmm. And be okay. Not, you know, not, G you know, GPT-4 is the same, is the gold standard, right? Right. It's also too expensive to run at any sort of scale. It's slow. My experience with it is slow. And it's, you know, I, I pay the for GPT plus, um, you know, so I get access to it. Um, anyway, so that's the main conflict right now is NVIDIA is at the center, but they're taking all the money. They're taking mm -hmm. all the money. And everyone, you know, Mike, you think Microsoft's going to sit still for that? Right. Their, their their cloud margin is down four quarters in a row now. Mm -hmm. Do you think Microsoft, the most famously competitive company in the entire world, is going to sit still for that? They are not. They're working on an AI accelerator and other things to lower their costs because they know it's unsustainable to keep paying NVIDIA this much money every year. Okay, right. So that's why they're mar their margin is down because they're spending too much on these GPUs. Of NVIDIA. Right. Started with their partnership, right? They didn't really have um, a a Azure. They didn't really have GPUs in Azure, right? Mm -hmm. So they formed this partnership. The, they gave them a billion dollars. And remember, a lot of that's free free Azure. It's a lot of that billion dollars. Right, yeah. right, right? Yes. And, and now they have another 10 billion on top of that over several years. Again, a lot of that's free Azure. Um, but they didn't have cloud infrastructure yet. And so they kind of learned they built it specifically for open ai right to they built what is now their cloud infrastructure specifically for open ai to build dolly 
and and GPT and the two versions of GPT that they've released um, in the last year. Um, and that's, and, but they keep having to add to it because, you know, it's all open AI sucking up all their, they, they are, they're internally, they're time sharing internally at Microsoft on GPUs because open AI is taking up all their infrastructure. <laughs> so, you know, that's the uh, that's I, I can't emphasize this enough. Nvidia is taking all the money, right? And that it sounds unsustainable in my view. How long that takes is right. The that big, was going to be my next question. Literally trillion dollar question. Literally trillion dollar question as of today. Mm -hmm. so. Right, because the way you put it, it seems like Nvidia. It's almost it's gotten too big. It's attracted too much attention now, and basically now it's Nvidia against the rest of the world. With the rest of the world, of course, being those big players, Google, Microsoft. Just trying to trying to stop this and trying to to do something about it, right? Right. It's a, it's a, it's they have to balance it, right? They need to keep good relations with Nvidia mm -hmm. because there's limited supply of these things. You know, Nvidia's continually had a, pro, a supply issue. Mm -hmm. I never really understood it, although they seems to be clearing up a bit this year, given their guidance. That's what their guidance was about, basically. The huge jump in the guidance was basically about. Apple vacating four nanometer at at TSM's foundry, and to for to, for three nanometer and Nvidia coming in behind them for these for 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 these GPUs. Because also the other the other moving part is they were selling a lot of these quote unquote gaming GPUs for crypto mining, and that's way down. Right. So they now can use more of their foundry reservation their four nanometer foundry reservation for the data the much more expensive data center gpus which are mm -hmm. like I, I use as shorthand ten thousand dollars a piece um but i've seen them as high as 40 thousand <laughs> mm -hmm. so yeah you know so they've been in short supply so if you're one of these companies you have to dance this dance right right which is I need to buy a lot of these now, but I want to get, you know, I want to wean myself off the heroin. So mm -hmm. they, it's, it's a very, difficult it's thing. It may take a long time to get, to get off the teat. You know, it's, uh, NVIDIA is taking all the money. It's, it's interesting. You talk about dancing that dance and, and the supply issues. And in a way, isn't that kind of, what the U.S. has been doing with China, having to dance that dance because of the fact that, you know, I believe NVIDIA and a lot of the those uh, chips are getting manufactured in Taiwan, right? And is yes. that something you're concerned at all about the, uh, the the supply coming from there? I am not as concerned as most people, you know. I, I, I you know, unfortunately, I love TSM as a stock, but I think it's always going to be undervalued because of, you know, the giant risk factor across the Taiwan Strait. But I think uh, the risk is overblown. Mm -hmm. I, I think the Chinese have a much longer, Chinese leadership has a much longer um, view than we do. Yeah. And West. And I think they think they're winning. They mm -hmm. just got Hong Kong back without firing a shot. And I think they think they're going to get Taiwan back the same way. If they just keep playing this slowly. 
I think the most dangerous thing is if they start thinking they're losing. That, mm-hmm. That's how we got Pearl Harbor. Right. You know, Japan started thinking they were losing and they had no other choice. Mm-hmm. Right. If the risks of, inv- I think the, you know, Biden's made very clear that this starts World War Three. I think, if they invade mm-hmm. Taiwan. Right. I think he and, 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 and previous presidents have as well. At the same time, mouthing the lie of one China. Everyone knows it's a lie. There are obviously two Chinas. Right. Um, Sorry, what do, you, what do you mean by that? Oh, OK. So there's this thing everyone China forces everyone to say out loud in order to have diplomatic relations with them, which is mm-hmm. that there is one China and this is just an unresolved issue. Oh, right. Right. Within, OK. Right. It's a lie, uh, quite obviously. There's not. There's two Chinas, obviously. Um, <laughs> but um, uh, but you know, everyone has to. If you want to have any sort of relations with them, you have to say that out loud. You know, um, I think it's it's a silly lie, but I, I get why people say it, keep saying it. But anyway, I think that was a good observation. It's a delicate dance. I think the big danger is making them feel like they're losing. I don't think they're winning. But they think they're winning. Right. And as they think they're winning, and I don't think they're winning, I'm happy mm-hmm. with that situation. Right? People still risking their lives to break into the United States of America. Yeah. Nobody. And, 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 and European countries. Right? Mm-hmm. Literally risking their lives. Every day this happens. Nobody is risking their lives to break into China. Mm-hmm. You know, when people start risking their lives to get to break into China, I'll worry. Right. That's 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 a very good point. I mean, you, you hear all the all the talk about the downfall of the U.S. dollar and downfall of the U.S. But yeah, like like you said, it's it's still just about the, the land of opportunities. You know, it might be going downhill, but it's it's still doing all right. As long as there are literally people lined up at the Rio Grande, literally every day trying to get across. I mean, that tells you something. That tells you everything you need to know. People vote mm-hmm. with their feet. You know? Yeah, absolutely. Actions speak louder than words, right? Exactly. People dying on the Mediterranean trying to get to Europe. You know? Well, we do have, we do have very good weather in Spain where I'm from, so, you know, I can see why why they're trying to get there. It's beautiful. Where are you in Spain? I'm thinking of moving to Spain. <laughs> Sounds so wonderful. Really? I'm not in Spain right now, but originally I was born and, and raised in Barcelona. See, that's what I'm thinking is Barcelona. It's 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 an amazing city. Living enough. Yeah, I mean living there. I've been I've been I visited that I think living there would be bad. Mm-hmm. You know, but anyway. Um anyway, back to the investing. I just wanted to ask then, uh, since of course we have this issue with the uh, with the chips in Taiwan, and we have had kind of a you know reaction from the US with that kind of um I believe it was called the the chips uh, initiative, right? Is there an opportunity then for uh, that investment that's coming in for for foundries in the U.S.? Is there an opportunity in that space? Maybe a company like Intel, for example. We can do a whole podcast on Intel. <laughs> <laughs> um, my general, generally speaking, because it's not just the U.S. The EU has subsidies. Germany, in addition to the EU subsidies, has subsidies. India, South Korea, China. Um, I'm probably leaving people out. 
the subs the, the the chip subsidies are going crazy, and when you subsidize something, you get more of it, and you're going to get oversupply, right. overcapacity. That's what I think. There's going to be overcapacity. I don't know where exactly and how, but I would imagine the U.S. has a big issue, and everyone understands this, and they're working on it, but it can't get solved quickly, which is um, software kind of ate everything in the U.S. Mm -hmm. for, you know, because the margins are much higher in software than hardware. So all the investment went to software, and so students followed that and got computer science degrees not electrical engineering and industrial engineering degrees, those kind of science-y engineering types, right? Mm -hmm. And so we have all these software people, computer science people graduating, and all the people in electrical engineering and industrial engineering are immigrants from Asia who have to leave after their student visas expire. Right. Right. And so we got to change this. We need a lot of, you need a lot of industrial engineers and a skilled workforce. Mm -hmm. And that's going to take time. That's going to take time. And that's not going to happen overnight. That's the biggest thing holding back the U.S. in particular is the labor force issue. One of the mm -hmm. great things that Taiwan has is a skilled labor force and great network effects with that. Um, and just, you know, when TSM, okay, quick story about uh, about the Asia versus the US in manufacturing, right? At scale. Mm -hmm. Original iPhone, Steve Jobs, Mercurial Steve Jobs, decided almost last minute that he didn't like the plastic screen of the original iPhone and that they were gonna go with Gorilla Glass that they had only recently sampled from Corning, right? Mm -hmm. So their manufacturer, Foxconn, had to retool the whole factory like in a, less than a week for the, for the glass screen instead of the, the plastic screen. And, you know, you can't do that in the U.S. Bring that right. many engineer, industrial engineers online very quickly and bring them in and have them retool the whole factory for, because the CEO is a bit mercurial, you know? So... The U.S. can never match that. Right. You know, and um, I just think there's going to be oversupply. And, you know, Intel's going to be, there's putting a lot of money into that. So going back to Intel, and it's unclear whether they can catch up with TSM. Anyone can catch up with TSM. They have mm -hmm. a big lead. Um, a lot of the money's going to ASML. Okay. Okay. Because they make um, the machines that range in price from 160 million euro to now 350 million euro mm -hmm. that make this all possible, make these high end chips all possible. Because without them, there is, and they're the only, back to substantially having a monopoly, um, there you go. There's another one ASML. ASML. Yeah. That's interesting because. Well, we're talking about NVIDIA, which, of course, you know, has skyrocketed. And I believe you actually said you believe it's overvalued. So I'm just trying to think in terms of actionable investment ideas. Where where, where can people profit now from AI? I mean, we've talked a little bit about Microsoft, which I think, you know, because of that uh, partnership with ChatGPT has actually kind of caught that wave a little bit. Google, on the other hand, I'm looking now, for example, NVIDIA up 5%, Google pretty much flat on the day and kind of underperforming a little bit. 
Uh, let's go into Google a bit. Is that, for example, an opportunity that, that you see there in AI? And also, what are some yeah, of the other yeah, I, You know, yeah, sorry to interrupt. Y yes. Um, I don't have great confidence in Google management. I'm going to start there because okay. they have a great opportunity here, but I'm a little wary of Google management. Mm -hmm. They're getting better, but they've always had a focus problem. And they understand that at least now. At least they understand this now okay but i don't know how you you know they're trying to turn a huge ship around with this but here's the here's here's again their the, what i think their play is number one those tpus in the cloud are much cheaper you can save about 40 to 50 percent doing the same work on a tpu mm -hmm. a cloud tpu versus a cloud nvidia setup right okay but again there's a software issue there you may not be able to because of a software issue, right? Mm -hmm. Right. Um, but that's, I think, a huge disruptive. They own it. They're the only one who hosts it. That's a huge for, for, their, for the cloud portion of this, mm -hmm. okay? Which I think is a big pick and shovel play. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. Even though I think there is a trade-off in the cloud business in, in, right now, which is they're trading off higher growth for lower margin. And guess who's stealing that margin? NVIDIA, of course. Um, anyway, so higher growth, it's, you know, basically it's a good thing, but higher growth, lower margin. Um, right. um, so that's one end of it is the cloud portion. The other thing is what I talked about with Palm 2 being smaller than Palm, running at substantially lower costs than Palm and maybe running at the edge. I can't express how important that's gonna be in just a couple of years, running on your phone, my phone, your PC, my PC, not running in some server off somewhere, right? Mm -hmm. But okay. private conversations you're having with your phone, right? right. Mm -hmm. um, on the level of what we're doing now and that's a, that there needs to be a lot of work, but I, I love that Google understands that's where it's has, smaller is better. Smaller is small is beautiful. Right. And even though GPT four is the best and the largest because uh, the, the best, because it's the largest people are trying to figure out a way to change that. Right. right? And I think Google has really the right idea here on that i worry about their management but they 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 understand cost the cost structure can't can't keep up like this mm -hmm. right the, the the cost structure of where things are headed you know open ai is not working on gpt 5 anytime soon because it would just be absurdly expensive to train and run in production right it just doesn't make any sense right so they're just going to mm -hmm. keep trying to GPT four better and less expensive to run, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um. So I so I like Google and I don't I haven't picked up any yet because I I have concerns about management. Okay. And are there any other maybe lesser known names or perhaps even kind of diving into more just sectors that are going to benefit from AI and perhaps could offer an opportunity here? Well, I, I think this is going to be an internet sort of thing 
where it's just you know if if you're i don't know how old you are but if you're old enough to remember kind of what basically happened was it was this one-time thing of like changing everybody's margin profile right mm -hmm. um in, in, in a good way right mm -hmm. and i just think we're just going to generally see that across the board the earliest place is going to be in manufacturing um visualization and optimizing and automa automating uh, factories. Kind of the way technology works is, you know, it starts with military applications because the Defense Department has the most money to throw around mm -hmm. on these. And then industrial customers have enough and then consumers have enough, right? And so I always like industrial applications on these things. And again, NVIDIA just did yesterday or day before yesterday, a wonderful demonstration in Taipei of their industrial visualization and autom automation software. Mm -hmm. um, that's kind of amazing, right? Um, so that's an area I think is, is going to be really big. But then again, there again is NVIDIA stealing from everybody else, right? Right. Here they are again. They are so prepared for this moment. It's staggering. Um, uh, here, this is the basic problem right now is all these trends that I'm describing favor large pick and shovel plays until this frenzy is done. Mm -hmm. right? Because we're in, you know, a lot of, last week, this kind of meme sprung up. I don't know if you saw it that like Cisco in 2000 is the same as NVIDIA in 2023. Did you see that floating uh, around the internet? Right, yeah, I believe I actually saw a recent article on Seeking Alpha kind of making that comparison as well. Right, and and it's a, I think it falls down because Cisco didn't have the kind of monopoly stealing everybody's margin type of thing going on that NVIDIA mm -hmm. has. Going. But I mean, it stands up in the valuation sense, you right. know, they're both, you know, they both got ridiculously, you know, you know. And so I tend to avoid, I, I know people get excited by this stuff, but I'm an old guy with a lot of patience and mm -hmm. I tend to wait for these frenzies to collapse and, right. and buy everything when after the collapse, mm -hmm. right? Because, um, you know, my service of, at Seeking Alpha is called Longview Capital and I like buying things and sitting on them for a long time. I like looking at long secular trends, waiting for the frenzy to end and then just buying it. Are you familiar with the, the Gartner hype cycle? Um, I do not. I may, I may have seen a chart. Could you just uh, run me through that? I'll just, I mean, it, it's better to show a graphic of it. But since we're on race, since uh, that doesn't work on a uh, on a podcast, we'll I'll describe it. Um, Gartner's a uh, a research a tech research firm doing this stuff for a lot of years, and they do this one thing that everyone loves called the hype cycle. And basically, it's this line that shoots straight up, then straight back down, and then goes slowly back up. Right. right yeah. I'm, I'm looking at it now. Yeah. What do they call the peak? The peak of what? Peak of inflated expectations. We're at the peak of proud disillusionment, then the slope of enlightenment, and then the plateau of productivity. I That's like to buy in the trough of disillusionment. That's mm -hmm. where I like to get in, is the trough of disillusionment. So we're right. on the, uh, the peak of inflated, somewhere around the peak of inflated expectations until mm -hmm, right. 
the Marvell, the ridiculous reaction to 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 Marvell's um, Friday earnings. I thought we were past the peak, but we're not. The Friday Marvell earnings, they were up 20 something percent because they said the words, the word AI 98 times in the. Uh, and they, okay, let's get real. I believe they, Google was over 100 on theirs. <laughs> not, not, Google, not that it did them much good. But look, Google's been working AI as long as anybody, right? On the right. software side. And also since 2015 on the hardware side, Google's was, you know, Google was everybody's sugar daddy at Stanford for a long time, right? right. Mm -hmm. um, they had a, you know, Larry and Sergey came from Stanford. They had a really good relationship with the computer science department there for a long time. That has since gone sour. A little sour, I won't say sour. Um, and um, so... Uh, I'm sorry. Where what was I lost track of what we were just talking about? Uh, we're talking about the hype cycle. Uh, oh, the hype cycle. The right. earnings and the reaction yeah, to that. I mean, Marvell makes memory. They they make they they make network controllers and and storage controllers. You know, again, there's nothing there because Nvidia is taking all the money. Mm -hmm. These servers cost like over. You know, you know they cost anywhere from a hundred thousand to four hundred thousand dollars these big AI servers, you know, and um, again, all that's going, it's like uh, 80,000 of that from this, from the get go. And then more on top of that goes to NVIDIA, right? Mm -hmm. Probably more than that, probably close to hundred grand. So it's just, everyone else is competing for the scraps after that. Intel or AMD gets a big chunk on the CPU, right? Mm -hmm. Um, and then there's a big RAM component. If one company can, like if you're building a server and one company gets, I think SK Hynix sells NVIDIA there, the RAM on, that's on the GPUs. That's quite a lot okay. of RAM. Okay. Then you got to put a lot of RAM in the server and then you need some local uh, solid state storage. So all those are, those are all RAM companies. I like the Koreans there mostly. So especially SK Hynix. Um, and Samsung, the problem with Samsung is they have, they're in so many businesses that memory, you know, it's, it's only part of the story. Whereas right. SK Hynix, it's more, it's more their core business, right? Mm -hmm. Micron, of course, is pure memory, but they got China issues now. Right. So mm -hmm. something going to be something like 25% of their China business gone. So now this question that, of course, has been on a lot of people's mind, you've heard Elon Musk come out and talk about this. Are you concerned at all about uh, about AI in the future? In the future, yes. And I think we very much have to start thinking about these issues in a very broad public dialogue. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and everyone needs to get involved. Right with this, I also think when I read statements like the one that just that did you see the twenty-two word statement that came out today? Uh, no. Um, I'll send you the link when we get off. Um, there was a twenty-two word statement that came out today that was signed by every single person in AI, from the most important all the way down, and I can't help but note. That all the commercial signatories, like Sam Altman, CEO of OpenAI, and 
other CEOs of AI companies, uh, you know, a regulatory wall uh, that's a barrier to entry moats, not such a bad yeah. thing for them, maybe. <laughs> right, of course. Right. Regulation mm -hmm. that forms a, you know, a moat for us is good. All other regulation is bad. Like the EU bill, you're, mm -hmm. you know, you know, you're not in the EU, you're in the UK now, but um, um, anyway, you know, that they're, they're not happy about this EU bill, this EU AI bill. So, right. because they're making people show their data, they're going to make people show their data. And that's going to open up a whole bunch of copyright suits. They're coming anyway. The copyright, the copyright suits are coming anyway. Right. Um, because <laughs> these things are all trained on copyrighted material. Mm -hmm. that they have mostly have not received permission for to use. Right. Of course. Right. So, but you know, I, so I do have long-term doubts. These things are nowhere near. Right. You know, dangerous, right. Mm -hmm. They're it's, it's dangerous for misinformation. They're dangerous for misinformation. That's the near-term problem that mm -hmm. they hallucinate so much. I'd say, you know, I mean, they're great bullshit machines. Look, yeah, they right. say they say bullshit with incredible confidence in a very convincing manner. That's the big that's the big near term danger as far as I'm concerned, and especially if you're Microsoft and pushing this out to all your commercial customers, pushing out bullshit to all your commercial customers. That's a big danger to a mm -hmm. reputation that they've gained in IT departments for a lot of years. Google pushing a bullshit machine into search right is dangerous i call this zillow risk giving ai too much responsibility too early mm -hmm. right. zillow had it had an ai buying and selling homes so many homes so many billions of dollars worth of homes that they were able to lose 420 million dollars when it went south on them right mm -hmm. right i call this zillow risk don't give yeah. ai too much responsibility that can cost you a lot of money if it goes wrong. And I think a lot of these big companies are opening up themselves to reputational risk with their main products, Microsoft and Google particularly. If you notice, if you notice who's silent on all this, Apple. First time I've mentioned them. First time I've mentioned the largest company in the world. Right? Interesting. Yeah. Tell me more. Well, because first of all, Apple does not discuss future products, <laughs> as Tim Cook reminds analysts every single quarter, right? But right. Um, because they understand that these things are not ready in an Apple way, in a complete, in right. a complete working ninety-five, 99% of the time kind of Apple way. They're not ready for Apple, right? Right. Maybe... Mm -hmm. Google and Microsoft are comfortable pushing bullshit machines uh, onto their prime product, onto their primary products. Apple mm -hmm. is not comfortable with that at all, right? They're not going to put something that puts iPhone in danger just to just to get in part, be part of the frenzy. Right. Yeah, that 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 makes sort of sense, and it's interesting to get that kind of take on more of the the downside risk when everyone is so so hyped up. I don't know if you read a few weeks ago, I believe there was some company uh, maybe in Japan or something that, you know, obviously it's a gimmick, but it uh, it appointed 
and the AI is the CEO. And of course, the, the, the stock jumped up 20% on the day or something like that. It's just, it's just, you know, we're into this weird meme. To, you know, look, I, the, the market breadth is terrible. Everyone's mm -hmm. casting. They see NVIDIA. Everyone's casting around for the next NVIDIA. That, that's where we are right now. You know, right. nothing's working. So let's find something that works. So we're into meme stock territory. I, mm -hmm. I'm an old guy. I'm in my 50s. I don't understand meme stocks. I don't understand the logic. So I stay away from things I don't fully understand, you know? Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, that's, uh, that's, uh, I stay away. I try to stay away from these frenzies. You know, I know right. a lot. I, 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 it's just not my skill set. It's just, mm -hmm. you know, trading these types of frenzies is not my skill set. You know, right. I let, just give you my most successful example. I started going heavily into Apple in 2005. My, mm -hmm. my, I still own, I still own almost all of it. And, uh, you know, my average price is like under $2. Wow. So, yeah, that's the kind of thing I look for. It's mm -hmm. something I start buying, continue to buy, and just sit on for a long time. Mm -hmm. You know? Uh, that, yeah. And, you know, uh, NVIDIA was going to be one of those I, until, mm -hmm. you know, I the, the price got crazy during the pandemic. I got out in 2000, you know? Mm -hmm. Um. You know, Tesla was going to be one of those, but I got out because it, right. just, it, got, it became a meme. I don't understand these meme stocks. I don't get it. You know, so. It's uh, it speaks to a lot of things. You know, I think it, it, it obviously it speaks from a fundamental uh, side to, to all the frenzy in terms of liquidity. I think it also speaks maybe to a, you know, what you might want well to call it kind of the, the new generation. What What is it, Jen? Gen Z and the the millennials trying to make a quick buck, you know this kind of stuff that's you know happening with crypto millionaires overnight, and that's kind of maybe just the idea that's that's going around with investing now, kind of percolating through. I think that's a I think that's a good observation. I think that's a good observation. Look, I'm perfectly willing to admit, though uh, I'm pretty good, as you might have realized, I'm pretty good at tech, understanding mm -hmm. what's going on. Um, I'm a dinosaur, you know, you know, and, uh, you know, uh, you know, uh, things work differently now in the market than I'm accustomed to. And so I have to do what works for you know, what's worked for me, what works for me always, which is finding these long-term secular trends. In that case, in the case of Apple, it was, it was, um, you know, the secular trend was the touchscreen for smartphone, um, mm -hmm. Netflix streaming video, you know, um, you know, I was a Netflix you know, investor, like right from the beginning, I was so hopped up on them back way back. Um, but that's the kind of story I look for, you know? And so right now I'm going to wait till this passes and then I'm going to start investing more heavily in this, all this AI space, especially because then, and also I'll have a much better understanding of it by then. Cause it's, right, the pace of development is so insane on the software side. Like the 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 people at Stanford have gone crazy with it. The the the, the Facebook model I mentioned is called Llama, mm -hmm. and they created a public version called uh, that works for everybody on any platform called Alpaca. The Stanford uh -huh. people did, um, right. and they did a nice Alpaca icon too 
Um, and everyone's building stuff on that. The most craziest. Do you know what uh, autonomous agents are? Uh, nope. Oh, God. These are coming to you soon. So this is just a couple of months ago. Some researchers at Stanford built this on top of the alpaca language model, right? Uh -huh. Which is started off with Facebook open sourcing their language model. And um, it's basically, think of them as non-player characters in a video game, except they're working, they're working on their own. They're making uh -huh. decisions and doing tasks within, uh, within a prescribed world okay. and interacting with other autonomous agents and interacting with humans and learning. And hmm. it's a little terrifying and impressive. And um, soon we'll see these in video games as non-player characters. That's obviously going to be the first usage of these. Mm -hmm. um, they are a little unpredictable, so it's going to be kind of crazy when they first come out. But I just saw a crazy demo uh, somebody did of an autonomous agent uh, in Minecraft, building worlds in Minecraft. Mm -hmm. It's fairly hypnotic to watch this autonomous agent go to town in my Minecraft. But, but it's not it's not gonna it's not gonna end with gaming. That's just gonna be the first low stakes, very low stakes mm -hmm. test of how that works. Because you know the stakes are low, in in in, in gaming, right? Right. Mm -hmm. If 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 an autonomous agent says some crazy stuff in the middle of a video game, gamers will just laugh it off, right? They think that's funny. So stakes are low, and you those things are gonna be everywhere. Customer service reps are all gone. They're all going to be autonomous agents. Mm -hmm. Stuff right. like that to start. And then it's just going to keep going. Eventually, so. eventually we'll be wondering if we're all autonomous agents. Oh, the, the... yeah. You know, I'm, I'm, I worry every week. I check in. This is moving so fast. I literally check in every week. Am I obsolete yet? Is, is my <laughs> service at Seeking Alpha obsolete yet? I check in every week. <laughs> the answer is definitely not. Not even close. That's the answer so far. But I check in every week because development is crazy. The pace is crazy. <laughs> so well, there you go. I, I breathe a, a big sigh of relief. I'm I'm glad that we're not we're not quite there yet. <laughs> well, did you um, see the story of the lawyer who tried to have a have a, a GPT write a brief for him and, and with citations, and it was all hallucinations. It was all bullshit. And, right. Yeah. And <laughs> judge. <laughs> Judge was unkind. <laughs> now, now, we've talked a lot about AI. I do want to talk a bit about the macro outlook. Before that, though, just one last uh, topic on AI. Another big uh, AI company, which is Palantir. I've discussed mm -hmm. this in a couple of podcasts. I'd love to hear your thoughts. Um, you shouldn't hear my thoughts. I, I, I'm, I'm biased on Palantir. You're biased, okay. I'm biased against them. You shouldn't hear my thoughts. They're probably a good company. <laughs> I... I, I I don't want to talk about them. I hate them. <laughs> All right. Well, I, I think I think they're an evil force in the world. I'm sorry. I think they're an evil force in the world. And I do. I've never invested. I knew Facebook was going to be huge, but I never invested them because I think they're an evil force in the world. Right. And so I do have my limits. And I think Palantir is one of those companies. So. Right, <laughs> sorry, I'm hot, biased. On. Hot, I'm really hot, hot take on Palantir. <laughs> yeah, a hot take on Palantir. Uh, right. You'll probably get a lot of comments on that. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's, <laughs> and by that's, the way, that... 
I was absolutely right about Facebook. They are they were an evil force in the world for years. They finally figured that out and are pulling back from being evil. Forced by Apple and the EU, of course. But right. well, yeah. you know, whatever. It happened. <laughs> well, we, we've talked a lot about AI. You know, if, if people want to find out more, just just head to Chat GPT and ask it, you know. <laughs> um I'd love to get your your take now also on the more general uh, macro outlook. Um, obviously, we recently had that kind of debt ceiling agreement or not exactly agreement extension. Uh, now, I think um, if you look at uh, the pricing for the Fed hike, uh, the next Fed meeting, now most people are pricing in a Fed hike, the next mm -hmm. Fed meeting. Uh, what are your thoughts on all this? And, and what do you think about the, the current outlook, given the big rally we've seen of the, of the recent lows? Well, um, I think in the wake of... Um, Q1 data, Q1 was very hot. I think a story that's really gotten lost is that everybody got a stealth tax cut in January, whether they in the US, okay? Uh -huh. um, this is because of fast-growing nominal incomes, nominal right. dollar incomes, and okay. adjustments to the income tax brackets and deductions mm -hmm. that um lag actual inflation lag actual wage inflation mm. right so yeah. the the tax rate the effective the average effective tax rate went up two percentage points in 2022 in january and then is down again is back down to where it was before 2022 in now in January. So everyone got on average, uh, I forget what, I forget the number I came up with, but per employed person, like something like 170 some odd dollars a month mm -hmm. as a tax break on average, right? Nobody bad. knows about it because this is incredibly underreported. I don't know why people, it's incredibly obvious if you look at the personal income table. Mm -hmm. So that's what starts. Um, January was super hot, super hot. February and March, less so, right? Uh, April PCE just came in kind of hot. Um, so I think I think that's right. Another hike's coming. Now that the bank's uh, crisis, quote unquote crisis, I never thought it was a crisis, is receding. Um, the Fed has separated those two issues in their thinking. The banks are one issue to deal with in one way, right? And then there's the, the, the and then there's the tightening they need to do on the economy, right? Um, but the actual actual conditions in the U.S. actual financial conditions in the U.S. they tightened up in March, but they loosened again in April, mm -hmm. and we're back to where we were before all this stuff in March, right? Right. Because non-bank players are stepping in. Like, I mean, you want to talk about a sector that has a great play here is the BDCs, the business developed companies, right? Okay. Banks are cutting back on commercial lending. They're going to the BDCs who charge a very high interest rate um, and have very tight lending. The good ones have very tight lending standards. Um, mm -hmm. I like Main Street and uh, Sixth Street are my two favorite, but that's a good play right now because they're seeing asset growth. Net asset right. value, right? They're all, you know, like uh, Sixth Street just got clobbered because they had to raise money, right? It was good news. They have to raise money because there's so much demand 
for loans right now from them because the banks are tightening up, right? Mm -hmm. so on commercial loans. Right. So I like that sector right this second, but you got to be careful there because some of them are risky. Some of them are very tight, like Main Street and Sixth Street. Mm -hmm. so, yeah. so you're talking about Sixth Street Specialty, that's ticker TSLX, is that right? Yeah, right. Uh huh. And Main yeah, Street. It's, it's very interesting. With financial conditions loosening, then um, do you have a particular outlook for inflation? You know, it's been the Q1 was disappointing. It, it, you know, things looked really good at the end of December. Everything looked like it was going the Fed's way. I had to really restrain myself from doing victory dances because it mm -hmm. looked like it was all going right. And I was just feeling good about it as the year, you know, as the December data started coming in in January. I just felt really good. Right. And then Q1 was a big setback. You know, employment cost index went back up. Inflation went back up. Consumption, nominal consumption went back up. You know, from that stealth tax cut that and and on the, at the margin, people spent most of that tax cut, that stealth tax cut, right? Mm -hmm. So I think maybe things are calming down a little bit from that kind of uh, that that January um, catalyst. But we're gonna get before the next Fed. We're gonna we get jolts, April jolts. We get uh, at the end of this week. We get April jolts and May jobs, and then very dramatically we get uh, May CPI the first day of the meeting, the day right. before the they they actually announce the decision. Mm -hmm. I think that one's gonna be kind of crucial. I usually say that they've made up their mind going into the meeting. They've all made up their mind. I think that might not be the case this time. I think they may make up their mind when they see May CPI the, that first day. Um, but right. right now I'm leaning towards another hike based That's on what we have now. I'm really being data dependent at this point. You know, right, we're down to, you know, the pattern they did was ramp up to 75 basis points, do that for a while, ramp back down to 25 and just, you know, go keep going until they think they're done. Mm -hmm. And so now since they ramped down to 25, I've been much more data dependent on, you know, what's coming next. It was very obvious what was coming next for a while. Mm -hmm. You know, when doing that ramp to 75, stay there for a while, ramp back to 25. That was, it was fairly obvious every meeting until mm -hmm. I guess March was the first one with any kind of drama in it, really, you know, to, for me at least. Mm -hmm. um, so I do think we're going to see some more tightening. And I think, you know, a recession's kind of a 50-50 shot. Maybe the banks push that up a little bit. Maybe it's 53%, 55% recession. But mm -hmm. if it does happen, I think we're looking at uh, starting in Q4 this year or the first half of next year. Mm -hmm. Leaning more towards like Q1, Q2 next year if it if it does happen. Mm -hmm. mm. Right. So but in terms of uh, how you're looking at then, in terms of positioning the next three, six even one year, given that the stock market has gone up so much, do you think maybe now is a good time to to take some profit and maybe wait for that uh, recession to happen or wait for the the Fed to hike and then and then see what's going to happen next? Um, I'll just put it this way. I have a lot of T-bills. Okay. Interest rates are very nice right now. If you look at right. that short, the very short, the very short stuff. Mm -hmm. Gives you a lot of flexibility, right? 
you're in, even the three months isn't that long, right? right. Um, and I'm not talking about just for everyone listening, not talking about a short term ETF. I'm talking about buying actual T bills at with through your broker or treasury direct or something. Right. Uh, um, but, um, you know, rates are over 5%. Now. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I think there's a lot of, there's a lot of risk in this market that isn't priced in. There's a lot of risk for NVIDIA that's not priced in. Mm-hmm. You know? But I think also the breath has been terrible lately. And so, you know, maybe there can be a rotation. Again, right. I, I like to, I like to start at times like 2009 and get mm-hmm. fully invested then and sit, you know, for a long time. And we're in a very, you know, we've been in a tumultuous period since, you know, the pandemic started, you know, things were pretty sharp in, in February 20. I think, I think there was maybe a recession coming anyway in 2020, but you look at February, 2020 data. It's so it's pretty decent, you know? Yeah. But now, you know, it's been very tumultuous. There's a lot of, I think, measurement error in the data, a lot of noise, a ton of noise, obviously, very obviously a ton of noise month to month. Um, and I think a lot of measurement error as well has creeped in for a couple of years since the pandemic started, three years mm-hmm. now. It's interesting. I actually compare, I've been comparing this period, I think a little bit, I think it looks a little bit like uh, 2006 maybe where we're kind of seeing the first signs of, of that sort of the cracks start to appear, but it's not quite there yet. And, you know, because of this hype around AI, I think stocks could, uh, you know, still go higher from here, but I think eventually we should see some, some kind of a, some kind of a sell-off. And I mean, that recession, I mean, it's been so announced, it, it keeps getting pushed back, but I think, <laughs> I think eventually it's really we'll amazing, see something. Right? I've been saying it's the most announced recession be- in history. Yes. <laughs> it will be, if it happens, it will be, the most anticipated recession right. in the history of U.S. recessions. There's no mm-hmm. doubt about that. And mm-hmm. it keeps getting pushed back. Exactly. I was on the no recession, no recession, no recession, because I thought the Fed could get away with um, doing QT and interest rate hikes at the same time. I thought they could get away with a lower terminal rates back mm-hmm. a year ago, you know, back uh, back a year ago. But They've had to raise higher than I had hoped and um, and maybe have to keep going. You know, inflation is being very sticky in a lot of places. Sir, there's a bunch of services still recovering um, mm-hmm. that are, you know, very, uh, cons- you know, basically all the stuff that got clobbered really badly in 2020. Uh, Food and food and accommodations, uh, recreation services, um, transportation services, all that stuff that got horribly clobbered, you know, Um, they're struggling still. They're still struggling to restaff a lot of these businesses. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, Wage inflation is still high in a lot of these places. The big inflation worry I have is in healthcare, which has been very dormant for a while. And mm-hmm. like it's finally and, and the and the wage inflation in healthcare has been some of the highest besides leisure and hospitality. And um I worry about healthcare inflation starting to drive the boat soon. Right. That's that's true. Yeah, healthcare costs, especially in America, have been have been going up a lot. Now, 
uh, before we started talking, we also talked about uh, some um, particular stocks um, that you were interested in. As I let you know, and my listeners know, we have the Pragmatic Investor Portfolio, where I ask each guest to, to maybe give me one of their high conviction picks. Um, and you made some interesting remarks on infrastructure. Yeah, I think the most um, underreported story is, um, you know, is uh, the fact that there was a giant infrastructure bill um, passed in the U.S. in 2021. Uh, it's $240 billion a year. Most of that goes to the states and local agencies who actually spend the money, who make the decisions with federal approval. Mostly, mostly we're talking about the Department of Transportation here. Um, the first year went out last October, um, it started going out. Most of it went out last fall, mm -hmm. um, the year of allocations and the second year will start going out this fall, upcoming fall. There's five years of that, of 240 billion, um, going to the states and local agencies. This takes a while to get digested. There's a lot of permitting legal challenges and all sorts of things that slow these things down, right? right? But it's already being digested. We already see states increasing their infrastructure construction spend month by month I, I, in the construction data from the, from the Census Bureau. Month mm -hmm. by month, you go, the public spending on infrastructure going up. Uh, it's up about 19% year over year now. Um, and that's going to keep going. Because the federal money hasn't even hit yet. This is just the excess money the states had from the pandemic that they're spending right. on roads and bridges and stuff. So my favorite pick overall, say for the next three to five years, is granite construction. They've already run a little bit. They're not as attractive as they were a few months ago. Um, and, and they've run based on, you know, this work already starting to happen at the state level. Mm -hmm. um, uh, you know, like I said, up 19% year over year. Um, and, um, and it's going to keep going for, you know, the, the federal money stops in another four years of that. But, you know, these projects keep going for a while. Mm -hmm. So another long, like Longview Capital this is another long term thing. So I'm going to sit on granite for some time. It's good. Yeah. I mean, I'm looking at Granite right now. That's stock ticket GVA. And we've actually had a bit of a pullback in the last uh, month, down about 4%. So maybe a good time to get in right now. You know, I just think that all these companies, so to, to back up, there was like a 20-year drought in infrastructure spending in the U.S. The last kind of surge ended 2003, 2004-ish, right? So it's 20 years of, uh, of nothing happening. And these companies have been starved. A lot of them pivoted into oil and gas and other, you know, construction areas to make up for the lack of infrastructure spending. But there's still a few pure play infrastructure companies like Granite, and they've been clobbered. They missed out on the entire 10-year bull market. Start a chart with the S&P and GVA on the day the market bottomed in March of 2009, mm -hmm. right? And like, it's ridiculous. GVA is just underperformed as you could, you know, S&P by so much in that period because mm -hmm. it was a drought and the drought's about to end. 
we're pouring water all over. Right. Now, I also wanted to get your thoughts on a couple of particular sectors, some that I've been talking about. One would be uh, regional banks, which you briefly talked about before. <laughs> you said that there was never a banking crisis. Could you elaborate on that a little bit? Okay. All right. This started with three banks that were very special cases, right? right. Two crypto banks, mm -hmm. right? And, you know, and, and the fact that they went down without any drama took one of my crypto worries off my plate. I was very worried about those two banks because they were hooks into the Federal Reserve System for all this nonsense that's going on. Right. And the fact that they failed unspectacularly was a huge relief to me, right? And then you got Silicon Valley, who had invested all this money into their relationships with a small number of VC clients at the end of the day, and all of their portfolio companies, right? And mm -hmm. so you have the situation where this small number of VCs would direct their companies to take their check that they just gave them and walk it over to Silicon Valley Bank and deposit it there. Right. right? And you had this weird situation where they were confident in all the money and time and effort they had spent in kissing these people's asses. Right. That was not enough. They went on Twitter that weekend and destroyed, decided to destroy their own bank. I don't understand. I still do not understand what these people were doing that weekend when they decided to destroy their own bank. It really was that whole week. They were going off on Twitter trying to destroy their own bank. Hmm. I don't. So that was a no bank can survive a run without fractionally reserved banking. We can't have economic growth. Right. And mm -hmm. so no bank can survive a run. And right. that people lose a bit of confidence but the deposit flight was not that bad overall at certain banks it was very bad right mm -hmm. but a good healthy banking system is one where banks can go down and not a lot really happens right that's a right. good healthy capitalist banking system that banks can come up to some pressure some special cases can go under and nothing bad really happens as a result so far, mm -hmm. right? That's a sign right. of a very healthy banking system in my view. I, I don't know how capitalist it would be if you're kind of relying on the FDIC to, to cover all those deposits though, right? It's, but that's an insurance fund the banks pay for. Right. But right, that's not funded by taxpayers, that's funded by the banks. So it's in the, the 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 regulation forces them to buy insurance. Okay. Right. Right. That makes that so, makes sense. I you know I'm I'm forced to buy insurance for my car for my home. I'm you know regulations force me to buy all sorts of insurance. Mm -hmm. So this is another type of insurance. Right. Of course. Yeah. Makes makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So anyway. Um, um, so I never thought it was that big a deal. I had a little fun, you know, playing the ups and downs of it, not with much mm -hmm. money at the first couple of weeks. But um, I think long term, the regional banks are a buy because they've been so hard, you know, they're, they're so badly clobbered and they're mo most of them are fine. I can tell you one I like a lot. Mm -hmm. Colin Frost. Sorry? 
Come again. Helen Frost, CFR. CFR. Okay. Yeah. What do you like about that one? Uh, twenty percent of their deposits are in their Fed accounts, on their Fed Reserve accounts, <laughs> and they're very smart about their real estate portfolio. That's the next big threat is commercial real estate. Right. But of course. The best, the best deep dive I've seen. This is very surprising. The best deep dive I've seen on this was came from a, some J.P. Morgan research. Really nice work by them, by the way. Um, the estimated losses were overall. I'm sure there's going to be certain banks that are going to take it on the chin that have bad exposure in in, in, in certain markets, right? Mm -hmm. um, San Francisco, for example, um, commercial real estate's dead there downtown. Right. Um, um, anyway, um, but the losses were surprisingly small and they modeled both, um, office and retail with very large default rates and very low recovery rates. I was surprised at their assumptions that they were, they were pretty draconian and the, in the end, their, um, their assessment of bank losses were, you know, they were real. I think it was 55 billion across the whole industry. That's real money, but it's not that much in the context of the U.S. banking system, right? right. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> um, and they also say, they also flagged life insurance companies as the other um, group that has a lot of um, office and, and retail. Mm -hmm. um, so that's the next shoe to fall for the banks. But I think overall, as a as a sector, they're fine. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, look, the U.S. is a little weird with all these small banks, <laughs> you know, no other country really has that kind of system. All these small independent banks making their own decisions, you know, and possibly some very bad ones. But I think uh, I think they're by and large good. And so Cullen Frost is just uh, they're the most conservative Texans in the history of Texas. They're from <laughs> San Antonio. They're literally. I, I think they could survive a bank run. Mm -hmm. I think they could literally survive a, a it's a wonderful lifestyle bank run where everybody mm -hmm. showed up to get their money when one day. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a, that, that's a, that's a bank worth holding in this environment. That then that's for sure. <laughs> and, and I mean, along with the feds facilities set up to enable that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. Right. Of course. Now, uh, let's go ahead and let's run full circle and touch back on AI before before we before we leave. Um, sure. Because I was talking to a, another essay contributor the other day, Michael Wiggins. He is focused on energy, and he was talking about how he was very bullish on energy because of how much uh, energy AI would consume. And he quoted to me something I can't remember the stat, but he said the training GPT four, you know, was equivalent to like like you know keeping thousands of tens of thousands of houses running for a year. Uh, any thoughts on that? Uh, yeah, he's, abso he, he's absolutely right. And just, just to quickly go back to infrastructure, 75 billion for transmission and distribution, electricity mm -hmm. in, in, in the infrastructure bill. Um, and we're going to need it because of exactly what he says. And everyone's focused on the training because that was the expensive thing in the research phase of all this. It's, it, it's the inference now. It, what they call inference. It's these predictions of what the next word's going to be, right? Mm -hmm. Talked about the guessing of the next word that they're very good at and sometimes not that good at. 
but right. um uh and yes now that these things are scaling into production it's not the training the the electricity you spend uh, money on for training right it's the electricity you spend um in the scaling scaling out a service some mm -hmm. sort of service built on top of a large model that you, that uses a lot of gpus each one of those chips goes 350 watts um two of the, you know there's eight of them in a box you keep doing the math it, you know it goes up quickly so um you know uh he's right he's absolutely right great well i guess energy another another interesting sector to look at especially given we've had a bit of a pullback well maybe the next time we talk if if you're willing to have me back after my babbling i know i babble and interrupt and i'm a horrible guest but um energy storage i think is a, a big thing upcoming well you know like like i said before we started that's the, the point of the podcast is is to hear people babble i i, I only <laughs> listen to ex exclusively listen to podcasts where people babble so uh, <laughs> but so uh, let, scale, utility scale energy storage it's already happening all the all the new solar installations are planned with storage co-located but we're going to see this scaling up with new technologies that are not lithium based. So that's my, that, that's another trend I'm following. Oh, very, very interesting. And let's leave it at that. Keep people uh, wanting some more. We'll definitely do this again <laughs> soon. Uh, it's been great. having you on. This, it's been great having you on before we, we set off, uh, go ahead and just let everyone know where they can find you on seeking alpha, if anywhere else. And if you want just, just a quick overview of, of, of what you do. Okay, um, I you know I write uh, for the public side seeking alpha at trading places research, mm -hmm. and I also I also run a subscription service there which includes portfolios and you know that's where I do you know all this stuff I've been babbling about I've been babbling about it to members since I don't know last fall whenever this is just the combination of all the things I've written for them about AI and in, in, in much more detailed fashion um it, uh, for the service that's called long view capital uh long view are two words and uh i guess the links will be below is that uh this works that's that's usually how i do it that's right <laughs> all right thank you so much james this was a lot of fun all right well likewise thoroughly enjoyed it and look forward to doing this again all right fantastic fantastic all right take care bye-bye everyone right. bye